Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, brethren. I'm thinking of a time when I was a young boy, probably about 14, 15 years old, And what I used to love to do in the summer, as a young boy, is catch snakes. And I would go into Taylor Creek, and we would go with a a group of us. And on a hot day, we would be particularly focused, because the snakes hate heat. And so they would go under boards. And so we would lift over every board we could find until we would find these snakes. And that's something that my father taught me, and taught me to have a love for nature. Well... I had such a love for nature that I did this every day. And we had, uh, as pets, we had gerbils, and we had them in an aquarium. And the gerbils eventually died, and so we had this aquarium in the house, a big fish tank. And what I decided to do, I had this genius idea, is that I would basically take Taylor Creek and put it in the aquarium. And so I found everything I could. I I had land, I had a pond, I had uh, grass, a little tree, and I had uh, earthworms, beetles, grasshoppers, crickets. But the the key uh, prize in the aquarium was a small snake that I had caught and a big toad. And so every day what I would do is come home, it was on the balcony, and so I'd come home from school and I would go straight to the balcony and just see what is the latest thing that has transpired. And this went on for about a month. And every day I would come in and I would see what happened. The tadpoles eventually started to grow legs. Then they became toads and they came up onto the land. Um, The the toad obviously got bigger. And the snake got a bit bigger as well. And I bring this up because if you go to Philippians 4 verse 1, there's a verse there that I can relate to in my own way. Because what I had created was a miniature ecosystem, and it worked. It was like, you know, when God created or or recreated the earth, and he said, it is good. Uh, When I looked at this aquarium and everything just worked, I thought, I felt like this is good. It was like a crowning achievement, and it was a great joy for me, and every day I would check in on it and look. And here in Philippians 4 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the Philippian congregation, says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. You know, Paul was setting, he was evangelizing, and he was setting up churches. And these churches were ecosystems. And when he would set up an ecosystem with different functions, people having different roles, and it worked, it was his joy and his crown. And in my small way, I relate this to this aquarium that I had, where everything just worked. It was a perfect ecosystem. And it was my crowning achievement and my joy. And so I understand this. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and the reason we're going through the book of Philippians is it was a healthy congregation. And we are laying the foundation for this congregation. And so we want to understand what makes for a healthy congregation and what are the potential hazards that we might have, even as a healthy congregation. And so that's why we're going through this book. And the last Bible study, we were covering covering Philippians 2 and verse 12. where it says, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's not able to come to Philippia. Much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We covered this scripture in our interactive format, and I made the statement that the working out of our salvation 
is not individualistic. It is collective. And our brother Adriano raised his hand and said he wasn't sure about that. That we do not stand before God collectively. When God judges us for salvation, we will stand alone. Very good point. And Brother Adriano, if I can say this, is emerging in our ecosystem as a very valued member because he is a stickler for truth and a stickler for scriptural accuracy. And that's what we need. The Bereans were noted as being noble because when the word was preached to them, they would check the scriptures to see if these things are so. God doesn't want passive Christians. He doesn't want Christians that anybody can come up here and say anything and we just nod our heads and it's okay. And the next week somebody else comes up and says the exact opposite of what was said the week before and we nod our heads and say, that's okay too. He wants us to be like the Bereans and question what we hear. And that's why we've instituted Speaker's Corner and the Interactive Bible Study because you are all mature adults in Christ and you have to question what you hear. So the question caused me to say, is this so? Is this scripture collective or is it individual? And what I want to show is that while Brother Adriano is absolutely correct, we stand as individuals before God's judgment. That the working out of our salvation is in fact collective. It's something we do together as a community. And we'll see that here. I first want to cite the case of St. Simeon the Stylite. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. St. Simeon the Stylite is a famous uh, Christian saint in the Eastern Empire. And he's famous because of this. He lived from 390 to 459. And he was an ascetic who achieved fame for living 37 years on the top of a pillar. So, it says here, in order to get away from the ever-increasing number of people who frequently came to him for prayers and advice, leaving him little of any time for his private austerities, Simeon discovered a pillar which had survived amongst the ruins, and he formed a platform at the top, and upon this determined to live out his life. So for 37 years, he lived on top of a platform, so that he could be serious about his Christianity. It has been stated that as he seemed to be unable to avoid the escaping world horizontally, he may have thought in an attempt to try to escape it vertically. For sustenance, small boys from the village would climb up the pillar and pass him small parcels of flatbread and goat's milk. Simeon's fame spread throughout the Eastern Roman Empire. So he was just revered as a really, truly holy man because he was so ascetic and so determined to uh, be close to God that he lived for 37 years on the top of this pillar. What I want to show, brethren, is that this, as far as Christianity goes, this saint is a colossal failure. It's a disaster. This is not what God is looking for. That God is actually looking for human minds that can engage other human minds and the God mind successfully. And we need to be in a community. We need to be in an ecosystem in order to work out the development of agape love. Agape love cannot be developed on the top of a pillar for 37 years. You've got to be in a community, in the mix with others in order to do that. Let's quickly go to Romans 7, where we'll see the challenge. So God has put us together in this community, this ecosystem. <clears throat> but if we look at ourselves individually, what we see is what Paul saw when he looked at himself. Romans 7 and verse 8 says, But sin... 
seizing an opportunity in the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. This is verse 8. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. So in other words, once Paul learned the law, there was something inside him that was provoked. The moment he knew that you shall not covet, covetousness raised up inside him. I was once alive, verse 9, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Human nature is anti-God. And so God calls us together, but we still have our human nature. And this human nature, being knowledgeable of God's law, wants to rail against it. And so the risk that we're all under is our own human nature and how we interact with each other. Once we know that we ought to love one another, that we ought to sacrifice for one another, there's a part of us that wants to do the opposite. The commandment, the very commandment that's supposed to produce life, produces death because it provokes human nature. And so back to Philippians 2. And verse 12, the first thing I want to highlight here is that the passage begins with therefore. It is a conclusion. So, as a result of what I have just covered, therefore, you should do this thing. You should work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Part of what comes before is putting on the mind of Christ. And if you look at verse 3, it says this. Do nothing. Do nothing. Nothing. There is, there is no thing that you can do that is acceptable from this motivation. Absolutely everything is excluded. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing. So there must be nothing we do where the motive is for selfish aggrandizement for the self. In other words, everything we do with the mind of Christ is for others. Agape cannot be activated in the absence of others. The mind of Christ cannot be activated in the absence of others. We need others in order to sacrifice for. Christ came to earth for others, not for himself. If it was for himself, he would stay in heaven. But he came for others. And so as we put on the mind of Christ, nothing we do is for ourselves. Everything we do is for others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. So as we work out our salvation, the process is that everybody in the community is better than us. We have higher regard for each other than we do for ourselves. And we're willing to sacrifice for each other in order to edify and demonstrate love to each other. In humility, that humility of Christ, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So this mind is a mind that applies itself to others. It applies itself to helping others. The mind of Christ came for salvation of others. And we're going to take that mind and adopt it. And our whole regard now is, how do we enable our brethren to achieve salvation? And ultimately the whole world. Our whole mind is to save the whole world. We're not in this to save our own skin. And I've seen through the years, many Christians who are highly motivated by the place of safety. In other words, saving their own skin. Selfish ambition. And they are highly motivated. They sacrifice. They give huge offerings. They're, they're driven by fear of being in the tribulation. They're not driven by agape. How can I help? How can I bless? How can I edify others? How can we ensure others are saved? How can we ensure nobody is lost? No. I just don't want to be in the, the, the tribulation. That's what motivates me. 
that is selfish ambition. That is not the mind of Christ. In fact, Christ left the Godhead in heaven in order to suffer tribulation for the sake of others, because he esteemed us better than himself. So we need to look at verse 12 in the context, not just of what went before, but the whole book of Philippians. And the mistake that I used to make when I read this verse was I read it in isolation. I just read it, you know, work out your own salvation. And so it was speaking to me, I've got to work out my salvation. Now that we're doing this study of the book, I realize the whole book, every single verse in the book, can be categorized as either coming from selfish ambition or the mind of Christ. Every single verse can be put in one of these two categories. And this verse is saying, put on the mind of Christ, not selfish ambition. So in that context, individualism does not make sense. But let me really, what I saw in studying this, let me share with you something. Hold your place here and come to 2 Peter 3. Notice this in 2 Peter 3, and we'll just break into the thought in verse 17. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, you know what is coming, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability. In fact, we were covering this with the youth study today, the book of Judges, how Israel was carried away with the error of the lawless. Instead of being an example to the lawless, they became like the lawless. And here, the, the, um, here in Second Peter, Peter is saying, beware. Don't get carried away. You know what's coming. Don't get carried away with the error of the lawless. And notice this, and lose your own stability. You could lose your own stability. You could lose your footing. This word, your own, is the Greek word idios. Idios. And it means distinct, private, and personal. So you think of our word idiosyncrasy. Something peculiar to me. It's an idiosyncrasy that I have. We have the English word idio, or the prefix idio, which means the same thing, distinct, private. And then think of syncretism, where they're mixing religions, and that's called syncretism. Well, idiosyncrasy is where you're in the mix, but you remain distinct. You don't blend in. So this Greek word, idios, is your own. Now, what I want to point out here is that this word, idios, is masculine. So in Greek, you have masculine and feminine words. It's genitive, which means it's possessive. It's my own. And it is singular. It is peculiar. Be careful you don't lose your stability. It's not talking collectively. It's singular. This is not the same word that we find in Philippians 2.12. Let's go back to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, when he says, so in 2 Peter 3, your own stability, idios stability, here in Philippians 2, verse 12, when he says, work out your own salvation, the word is not idios. It is not idios salvation. The word is hutos. Work out your hutos salvation. This word is also genitive, which means it's possessive, it's it's your own. It's also masculine, but this word is plural. Work out your own plural salvation. There are problems in the congregation. I cannot come. I'm in prison. If I could come, I would work it out for you but I can't. Work out your hutos salvation with fear and trembling. So collectively, plural, work this out. Because God is evaluating us based on how we interact with Him and Christ and how we interact with each other. And what Sintiki and Yodia are doing is jeopardizing their salvation. And we should care about the souls of everybody who's in our care. And so work this out. Make sure you don't lose them. And make sure you don't lose your own stability. 
But I really want to put a fine point on this, that this is not idios. This is not your personal salvation that you're working out. It's hutos. It's plural. It's the collective salvation. Let's go to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verse 9. Even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that belong to salvation. We're confident of the things that belong to salvation. Even though we talk about people losing salvation and the risk we're under, we're confident in your case regarding the things that belong to salvation. Because God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake. So God is going to evaluate you. And we're confident regarding your salvation. Why? Because God is not unjust. When he's evaluating you, what's he evaluating you? What's he evaluating you on? Your work and the agape that you showed for his sake. And who did you show it to? In serving the saints, as you still do. So clearly, salvation here is connected to the work that you do and the love that you show in serving the saints. Same thing he's saying in Philippians. Work out your salvation. Show this love for the saints. Sacrifice for the saints. And God will not overlook this when he evaluates you. But he says to do it with fear and trembling. Be afraid. Be very afraid as you work out your salvation. This is, I can't come to you. This is serious. You better take this with the weight and gravity and sobriety that belongs to it. Do it with fear. You know, there's a story, I think you've probably all heard it, of the duck and the scorpion, where the scorpion is on the riverbank and he wants to get to the other side, but he cannot swim. And a duck comes by, and he calls the duck. And he says to the duck, I know the way to the other side. I just can't swim. And the duck says, well, I don't know where to go, but I could never trust you, because you would sting me. And, and then the scorpion says, I would never do that. That would be stupid. If I sting you, we'll both drown. And so the duck says, you got a point. Climb on. And the duck begins to take the scorpion to the other side, and the scorpion's navigating, and in the middle of the river, the duck screams out and says, you stung me. Why did you do that? And the scorpion says, I guess it's in my nature. And they both drowned. They both perished. Because the scorpion could not resist his nature. And I understand this because I had this aquarium for a month. And the life was just, it was a whole ecosystem that just worked. It was beautiful. And every day I would come home, go on the balcony and check. And one day I came home and the toad was gone. I couldn't believe it. The toad was too big for the snake. So I knew the snake didn't swallow the, the, couldn't have eaten the toad. Except for the fact that in the middle of the snake, there was this big bulge. I, I, could, I couldn't believe it. It, to me, it was anatomically impossible. But the snake did it. Because it's in the snake's nature. And we all have a bit of that snake nature in us. And so Paul says, you work out your salvation, but do it with fear and trembling. Because there's something in all of us that is destructive. And we can cross-reference this with Galatians. Galatians 5, and let's begin in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for selfish ambition, for self-indulgence. So we're free, but we've got to be careful that we're not 
using our freedom to exercise selfish ambition. But, through agape, become slaves to one another. That, that service to the saints. And Pastor Murray gave a sermon, and it's on iTunes, it's on our website, and, and we need to listen to this sermon over and over. It was a study of one another and the verbs that go with it. And in terms of laying the foundation for this congregation, we've put it on our roadmap. On, on the back, if you have the roadmap on the back, we've added it. All of the verbs that go with one another, and one of them is here, become slaves of one another. Serve one another. Esteem the other better than yourself. And be in service with the mind of Christ. For the whole law, the entire law, everything God is trying to accomplish with us, is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. This is what God wants from us. That he is love, and we will become love. And as we become love, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Notice this verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 15. If, however, you bite and devour one another, if that snake nature comes out, beware. Take care that you are not destroyed by one another. So this community, this whole how we treat one another, it can go well for us, and God will not forget our work and our labor of love for the saints or it can go very badly for us, where we destroy each other. Matthew 18. And uh, Pastor Murray, in his sermon, he said this word, bite, means to wound the soul. Powerful words. Just, just, just think about that for a second. Think about open wound that you've seen. A horrible wound. And now apply that to the soul. Wow. We have the ability to wound each other in the soul. Beware. Beware. If you've been in the church any time, you've probably had your soul wounded. Maybe by a minister, maybe by a brother. It hurts. Beware. Matthew 18. <clears throat> Matthew 18 and verse 6. If any of you, no exception, God is not a respecter of persons. Here we are, the Christian community. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. That sounds pretty serious. That sounds like we should have a bit of fear and trembling as we work out our salvation with one another. If any one of us put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, Christ's own words, it would be better for you if a, great, a giant millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Take care, beware, have fear and trembling that you do not despise, that you do not wound one of these little ones in their soul. I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven, and they're constantly reporting what's going on. And if they give a report, there's a little one, her soul is wounded by another little one. That report goes to the Father, and Christ says it's better that a millstone were around our neck and we were drowned in the depth of the sea than to face God having wounded one of his little ones. Because, verse four, uh, drop down to verse 14. That was verse 10, verse 14. It is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. And Paul is telling Philippians that both Yodia and Syntyche are at risk. Both of them are at risk. 
and it's not his will that anybody should be lost. And so he's telling the congregation, work out your salvation. Don't let this happen. We are a family, spiritual family. We have to make the decision, the choice, to be a functional family. We're a family, but we can be a dysfunctional family. And in fact, I have to say that my mind was brought back to my own roots this week as uh, the three women who were kidnapped in Ohio were rescued. And one of them was rescued with a six-year-old child. She was 27, or she is 27. Her child is six. That environment that they lived in, I understand it. That's the environment my mom lived in. And when we escaped, I was six. And so I can totally relate. And I can see as an adult how my life is shaped by events that happened in my first few years of life. And so we can be born into and and, and develop in a dysfunctional family. Or we can create a functional family. But we're a family. We can't escape the fact that we're a family. We have to decide to create a healthy environment. That people will be blessed in this environment. When they come, they grow. When they come, they're happy. When they come, they connect. And they feel safe. We have to do this. It's not going to happen by itself. In fact, what will happen by itself is dysfunction. Dysfunction will happen by itself. It's like a garden. Weeds will take over if you do nothing. If you want a functioning garden, you have to apply effort. So if we want a healthy family, we have to make the effort. We have to work out. Put some energy behind this. Have some effort. Work it out with fear and trembling. We never want to be the one that's wounded another. And yet we have this human nature. Let's go back to Romans 7. Romans 7 and verse 5. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. This is the problem. We have this snake nature. And the very law that we want to obey provokes this nature against each other. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Pastor Murray brought out in this uh, word, elalon, one another, that we have to forbear one another. So if we, like Paul, can do this assessment of ourselves, that we are flawed, we have this snake nature, it wants to bite and devour, then if we get bitten, we can forbear. We can say, I understand where this is coming from. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual powers. And so we can forgive, and we can forbear. Verse 22. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law. It's, it's like gravity. That when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. It's just a consistent principle. For I delight in the law of God, in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Work out your salvation. Have an understanding that this is what we're up against. We're up against our carnal nature. We're up against the devil. And we're in this tight community. We're, we're going to offend one another. But if we forbear, if we set our mind to love, that when that nature causes us to say something hurtful, we apologize. When we are hurt, we forgive. And we're, it's hard 
this, this is perhaps the hardest part of Christianity. That the people close to you hurt you. And so we're working this out. It takes effort. It's not easy. Ephesians 4. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, verse 22 of Ephesians 4, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust. This is what Paul taught them. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So this is the process, that if we allow the Holy Spirit to renew us in our minds, to put on the mind of Christ, we can put away the former conduct and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God, the mind of Christ, in true righteousness and holiness. I see that here, brethren, and I don't want to give the impression that we're dysfunctional. I'm really happy about what we have accomplished in such a short space of time. In fact, I was speaking to uh, Pastor Murray and Deacon Jan, and we just happened to... I asked the question, well, how long have we been together? Two months. And I, I, wish, I couldn't believe it, that we have accomplished so much in such a short space of time. So I think it is going extremely well. And this is in no way a criticism. It is, though, a warning. The same way that Paul is warning the Philippians. The devil is at work. When we open those doors and come in, the devil comes in with us. And he's at work. So if we are aware of how he works, of what his devices are, we can avoid him being successful here. 1 Corinthians 3. Look at this passage. First Corinthians 3. Speaking to the church in Corinth. Who were plagued by division. Corinth was a a troubled church. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, notice this, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation. Wow! You know, I thought that Paul just sort of waltzed around Europe and just sort of started these churches and said, you're good to go, and off he goes. No. No. He recognizes that he's building something, and he says, by God's grace, he is a skilled master builder. And as a skilled master builder, when he starts a church, he is laying the foundation with design. There's a plan. There's thought put to this as he puts the foundation down. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So as we lay this foundation, like Paul, let's be master builders. Sorry, let's be skilled master builders. And realize that we are the foundation. We are the foundation. And everybody that builds in this church is building on the foundation that has been laid. And so we're going through Philippians, going through Philippians as a part of our foundation. Why? Because the mind of Christ is the foundation. That if we can lay this congregation down with an understanding that for us to be successful, each one of us has to adopt the mind of Christ. Because there's, it says here, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. So this, when, when Paul went in and laid the foundation, that foundation is Jesus Christ. What he taught them was the mind of Christ. And says, so you, you're going to be an ecosystem, you're going to be a community, put on the mind of Christ. That's the foundation. And then we build on that. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. The day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. So the foundation is laid. Each of us now comes and we build on the foundation. But the work that we're doing to build on this foundation will be tested. And it will be tested by fire. It will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. So as we work out our salvation, we are, we are setting the level of reward. And God will not forget, he's not unrighteous, he will not forget our labor of love and work for the saints. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. So this is the working out, the work that we do with each other and how we service each other. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If this work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you are God's temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. It's better that a, a giant millstone is hung around our neck and we're thrown into the sea than to come in here and wound a soul that is one of God's little ones, that is the temple of God. If any man destroys the temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So this study that Pastor Murray did on Alelon, one another, shows us that the working out of our salvation, the development of agape love, requires one another. We can't do it on the top of a temple or a top of a pillar by ourselves and say we are holy people. That's not the holiness God is looking for. He's looking for the holiness of us as a temple working together, working it out, working out our salvation. 1 John 4. In verse 20, those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. The love of God requires the presence of others. It is an active love. It's a proactive love, and it requires the presence of others. If I say I hate, you know, I love God, but I can't stand Deacon Jan, I'm a liar. That's not the way agape operates. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. Let's go back to Romans, Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Die to Christ. Don't try to do anything out of selfish ambition. Give it all to Christ. You're, you're, you're alive, but you're dead. You've sold out to this world. You're done with this world. Christ owns you. In a sense, you're dead, but you're a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. This world is driven by selfish ambition. The best and brightest in this world, when you drill down what's motivating them, ego, selfish ambition. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God. And remember in Philippians 2 and verse 13, he says, For it is God, God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when, as we're working out our salvation, it's God's will working in us 
And here in Romans 12, as we're transformed, we begin to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, how to put on the mind of Christ. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't be driven by selfish ambition. Die. Have Put that old man to death. And regard your brothers and sisters better than yourself. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, not all the members have the same function. And that's, again, when I go back to that ecosystem that I saw firsthand that I could create this ecosystem in this aquarium and everything just worked. Everything had a different function. What the earthworm was doing was different than what the tadpoles were doing, which is different than what the shrubs were doing. Everything had its function. The same way in the body, we all have our function. And I actually mentioned uh, Brother Adriano. Demonstrating he is somebody that has a mind that filters. Is this scriptural? And it's kind of forcing all of us to go back to the scriptures and say, okay, where is this coming from? Is Is it scriptural? That's a function, that's a valuable function in the body. And something we can all emulate. To say, yeah, I, I, should be, I should be more active. I can't just sit and listen passively. I have to be an active listener. So that's a function in the body. We all have different functions. So we, so, so not all the members, verse 4, have the same function. We, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have to work out our salvation collectively because we're all members with different functions. And it's when we all function together that the ecosystem works. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. We all have different functions. We're not trying to be the same. And so sometimes the very thing that irritates you or could irritate you about a brother or a sister is the very thing, that very attribute that gives them their strength in another area, that enables God to gift them in another area. So we're all different. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. And I want to emphasize this last part. So, love one another. That's another one of those one another's. And outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo each other. It says here, outdo means to go before, to, to lead, to endeavor to, take the, to endeavor to take the lead. So we should all be competing with each other to see who can show each other the, the most honor. That's what God is looking for. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's conclude in Hebrews 10. I'm going to just encourage everybody, if you could, please, either on our website or in iTunes, please listen to the sermon called one another again there's a lot in there there's no way you got it all in one passing and it's what we have to do as we work out our salvation so is there a gap in your agape the gap is if there's no one another we cannot develop agape individually we need each other Hebrews 10 and verse 24 Let us consider, let's think about this, let's ponder, let's reflect, let's meditate, let's spend some time on this, see if we can figure it out. How to provoke one another, not out of selfish ambition, but out of the mind of Christ, as we're working out our salvation here as a community. Let's think about, let's deeply reflect on how we might provoke one another to love and good deeds. 
So, as we're working out our salvation, we're asking ourselves, how can I make my brother get a greater reward? What could I do that could inspire my sister or my brother to be better in Christ? And my whole work is to edify my brothers so that on that day, when they're evaluated, they are rewarded beyond anything they could ever imagine. And I help to do that. And you help to do that for me. Let's, think of, let's, let's be this kind of congregation. That it's not passive. We don't just sort of show up. How you doing, brother? Have a cup of tea and leave. We are, we are thinking about this. How can we make our brothers and our sisters more successful in Christ? And, never, and, and do it with fear and trembling. We would never want to wound a soul in the temple of God. So let's think about this. How do we provoke each other to love and good deeds? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I'm going to propose, this is pure speculation, pure speculation, that some of these people who are neglecting to meet together are wounded souls. They've been wounded. And it's like, you know what? I don't need that. And so they're neglect- they don't want to be in the assembly anymore because it's painful. And that's where God says, be careful. If you cause a brother or a sister to come to that conclusion that I can't be bothered, it's too painful, not only do they lose, we lose as well. But encourage one another, another one of these one another's, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And it's not so much to encourage each other because the day is approaching and we're so full of fear. It's that the day is approaching and this is our reward. The reward is coming. So it's like you're running a race and there's the finish line. And if you just run a bit faster, you can place further. You can place higher. So the day is approaching. We're running out of time. We're not afraid of God. We're looking forward to meeting God. So as the day approaches, how can we make each other more successful? How can we ensure we have a greater reward? How do we work out our salvation so that when all is said and done, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. If there's agape, it's because there's the presence of others. Let's work out our salvation together. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.